when we transcend, and this is the power of a transcending meditation as opposed to a gratitude meditation or visualized meditation that's keeping us within our own individualized state, within the confines of the skull and the brain and in our own separate identity. But when we transcend, we go into the field of mind, which let's just call it pure consciousness, then we become part of something that's universal. And all intelligence or creativity is, is contained within that broad spectrum of field. Hey everybody, I'm Adam Hergenrother. This is Business Meets Spirituality. We believe in personal growth through business success. Today, I'm super excited by our guest, Tom Cronin. Tom spent 26 years as one of Sydney's top bond and swap brokers. Side note, I lived in Australia for a year, so it was wonderful. And we talked about some of the uh, really cool places. If anybody ever gets to Australia, there's a place called Byron Bay or Fraser Island, which are like the two best places to ever go there. So if you go to Australia, go there. Um, so we had a wonderful kind of catch up and made me excited to go back there. Anyways, from earlier uh, on in his career, he found meditation and mindfulness to be transformational in relieving the chaos and anxiety that he experienced in his life in work. You know, he's the founder of the Stillness Project, which started in 2013, which is a global um, initiative encouraging individuals to meditate and sit in stillness daily. He then dedicated himself to changing the lives of countless individuals through teaching, transformational leadership, meditation retreats, keynote talks, and most recently, the Portal film experience. You got to take a look at the trailer at minimum. It's awesome. Um, we're super excited. The Portal is an experiential documentary created as part of a bold global vision to overcome the chronic levels of anxiety, depression, PTSD, and trauma faced by most people today. Tom's message in the film and his many previous podcast appearances engaging, thought-provoking, and actionable, touching on aspects of all professional, romantic, and social lives. I think you'll love hearing our conversation. We dive deep into the mind, what consciousness is, what ego is, and at we pull in how do people pull in business with spirituality, which is really, I go towards the end of the conversation. So without further ado, enjoy our conversation. Well, hey, Tom, thanks so much for joining us today. You know, I would love to start off with, um, you know, I love how you were a, a broker for finance and kind of take us back to that time where you're in the business kind of setting, um, you know, kind of trying to figure out your way, if you will. And, it, and actually a, a follow-up question, this is, was there a time before you even got into business that kind of what kind of was what propelled you to get into business in the first place and kind of start there in the journey so our listeners can understand where you came from? Yeah, look, it was a massive default that I landed on a trading room floor in finance in 1987. Um, it's, you know, that was a crazy year. It was a year that we had Jordan Belfort from Wall Street was created with Bud yeah. Fox and Lunches for Wimps. It was the year that Bonfire the Vanities came out, which was Sherman McCoy, the master broker, master of the universe um, in Bonfire the Vanities. And then it was uh, also the year that we had the massive uh, crash of 87. So it was, a, it was a really crazy year in finance markets. And I'd finished school in 85 and did a year of what we do in Australia is um, make a bit of money uh, working in factories or for me it was picking apples in orchards uh, and then traveling around the world. So I took a year off. And I carried, you know, French existential books like Jean-Paul Sartre under my arm, walking the streets of Paris and thinking about um, capitalistic greed and how I was going to write articles for T Time magazine when I got back to Australia because I had a degree in journalism that I had to fulfill. But when I got back from uh, overseas traveling, I had a bit of time up my sleeve before uni started. So I just applied for a bunch of jobs in the paper. And I was really committed to my, you know, my devotion to making a difference in the world through writing. Um, and um, I applied for all these jobs. And one of the jobs was just a random job on a broken room floor, which I didn't know anything about, had no interest in finance. But um, I got the job and I was going to leave after a few months just to go and do my uni degree. But they paid me a huge amount of money. And when I arrived on this trading room floor, I just couldn't believe my eyes. It was this massive floor of hundreds of guys yelling and screaming, very much like Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. And it was just pumping and pumping and pumping. And they gave me lots of money. And when it came time to actually leave to go and do my uni degree, um, but because it was time to me to go and start that, they, they gave me a big pay rise and a bonus. And I just, from that moment on, I said, oh, I'll just do one more year and then I'll leave the next year. And every year came around a new pay rise and new bonus. And, and it was these huge leaps in my salary and huge bonuses. I was actually very, very good at what I was doing. And so by default, um, that uni degree got pushed off and pushed off and pushed off. And 26 years later, I finally <laughs> got to leave finance. <laughs> so it was quite a 
a, a long-winded uh, <laughs> journey to get to doing something of impact in the world. Well, I think uh, I think I, I love that story because it resonates with so many people who get caught into almost the need or addiction of some income that's coming in. Walk us through that kind of process up until the point where you decided to leave and, and take your path that you've done now. Um, was there? Did you know that you should be leaving this throughout those twenty six years? Was there something that was that was holding you back? I mean, obviously, money is is one of those factors. But what was what was kind of going on through your head through that time, and 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 how did you feel throughout that twenty six year process? You know, we call it the golden handcuffs. You know, once they're on, you can't get them off. It's very difficult to get them off anyway. You know, it's you're in and what happens is you create a lifestyle around your income stream and you borrow based upon your income stream. And so you set up this sort of um, almost very difficult scenario to get out of as time goes on. The deeper you're in there, the deeper you're in there. And I knew I was a fish out of water. I knew it wasn't really where I wanted to be. And I was really uh, just surrendering a lot of preferences, not knowing how I was going to get out and do the other things that I was going to do because I'd gotten used to earning so much money at that point. And I started to do a lot of property development on the side, borrow money, doing up old homes, um, flipping them and things like that. So this was another sort of passion project on the side. And as time went on, I just knew more and more deeply that I there was something more for me to do. I'd, I'd learned meditation because, long story short, uh, the first 10 years of that career was deep into drugs, drinking, partying, really decadent sort of lifestyle. And uh, that ultimately led to quite a crisis moment in my life around the age of 29. I, things really fell apart for me in a big way. I had extreme anxiety and panic attacks and depression. And... A lot of addiction and uh, I spiraled into a dark abyss and it was in that time that I found meditation and it really helped me get back on track with my job and with my life it was it made a, a massive massive difference to my world and um, for the next 16 years after that first 10 years I continued on as a broker and became very successful but not using those old tools that I was using of drinking and drugs but more using meditation and yoga and it really helped me have a sustainability in that career. And I realized the power of meditation and I wanted to bring this out to the world. And as time went on and the more I used meditation, the deeper I went into my studies, the more I felt this incongruency with the life that I was living and the life that I knew I was had the potential to live and the things that I had the potential to do. So I actually remember bringing on a mentor. Um, he was quite a big sort of coach here in Sydney at the time. And I remember sitting down, I only had one session with him. And was sort of I couldn't work out how I was going to leave my job. I just I just said, you know, I want to go off and do this, but I don't know how I'm going to walk away from you know, it's nearly a million dollar salary with bonuses and stuff. And we brainstormed backwards and forwards for 50 minutes, 55 minutes, and we're getting towards the end of the session. Then he just leaned over and says, you know what? You're just going to leave when you when you leave. That's that's all there is to it. You're just going to leave when you're going to leave. And it was like this sort of penny dropped. And he said, the thing is, I'm just going to leave you with this one thought. The longer you're in the job, the more debt you're going to accumulate, the more dependency on the money you're going to have, and the harder it's going to be to get out of there. And that really was the, the moment that I realized, yes, I will leave when it's time to leave, and it will, it will be difficult, and I'm just going to have to deal, deal with that. And that's when I realized that I'm just going to bite the bullet and find my way out of there. I love that. I want to go back to how did you get... Um into meditation i know like you you went to an abyss did somebody recommend meditation to you um did you read it somewhere was it just one day you drove by a sign how how did you come about into that meditation because that's a big shift right there for people yeah and just remembering for those that are listening you know this was back in 1996 so we didn't have google yeah. <laughs> we didn't have apps we didn't have headspace and calm so meditation was quite unheard of back then um you know i worked on a trading room floor and grew up on a farm so it was not something that i'd ever come <laughs> into contact with yeah. But it was actually during a really dark time where I'd actually uh, had to have mental health leave from work. So I, I left my job for a period of time to try and recalibrate and reset myself. And while I was at home, now remember 1996, when you're sitting at home, you don't have free to uh, pay TV and Netflix and all that sort of stuff. So I was watching a documentary on uh, one of the free-to-air channels it was about a property developer that was an incredibly successful guy. I, I knew this guy because he'd built most of the high-rise buildings in Sydney and Melbourne, and his name was always plastered over them. His name was Bruno Grollo, and uh, I think his company was called Grollo Constructions or something. But it was a very distinct sort of personality, this guy, and very famous. 
they're doing a documentary about him, but it was really interesting in this tiny segment of that documentary was literally a two-minute segment where he talked very briefly about how he used meditation. And that while he was doing the voiceover, they showed him sitting in his blue pinstripe suit. I still remember it. It was a blue pinstripe suit, and he was sitting in a room on a chair with his eyes closed meditating. And he used this word transcendental meditation. And I don't know what it was because I, I was really at that point, you know, really into, you know, taking drugs and getting out of it really loved getting out of it and that that idea of transcending my reality was a big sort of experience that i I craved a lot of when i heard that word and saw him meditating it really was like a light bulb moment for me and i immediately got out the yellow pages phone books any of the young listeners wouldn't have a clue what i'm talking about but we had this big phone book uh, in, in the lounge room that we used to use to stop the door from blowing in the wind but that's where all the businesses had their um their names listed because we didn't have Google. And so I looked up M for meditation. And there in, because uh, what in the yellow pages, you had the, the black uh, yeah. names and numbers. And then every now and then you get a red one where they paid a premium to stand out in red. And Transcendental Meditation was standing out in red. Wow. And so um, I, I, I did actually ring all of the meditation centers and I looked into doing research into all of the different types of meditation in Sydney. But this Transcendental Meditation one was really struck a chord with me. And that's the one that I dived into. Yeah, that's wonderful. You know, um, I've been doing transcendental meditation for 12 years now, um, and and I found it kind of in a similar way. And we get a lot of groups of our people in the TM as well. And I think it's a it's a great model. Why don't you? I always consider it as like the gateway drug into spirituality. And I love how you talk about how it just kind of opens you up more and more and more into seeing the presence within you, and also see kind of opening up the reality of what your life is, and you're not necessarily seeing it so glued to it. Can you walk us through the kind of evolution that you went through up until that point where you left as a broker? You know, obviously, because I think a lot of people are in this this phase where they want to they want to change something about their lives. That could be their job, it could be you know relationship, it could be their relationship with money, it could be whatever that is, um, and 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 they want to take up the first couple steps. Maybe they're in the meditation like. I want, I think it's also important for people to hear that it was 16 years of this process. Cause I think a lot of people want this spiritual bypass where they go in there and they do meditation in a day or two. And like, they're expecting things to change. So I love how it, you talk about how it just kind of continued to change you. And over time, it just felt incongruent with who you were. And then ultimately that led for you to leave. Can you walk us through that process? Yeah. Um, firstly, when um, people ask me to add a meditation to their app or their program they they want me to add multiple multiple meditations i said look what i teach is i use one meditation and it's not about using lots and lots of different meditations to give me different experiences i use one meditation that helps peel back layer after layer after layer of illusion and ego self and it's just it's an ongoing process through life as i become less of my persona less of my identity less of you know, my opinions, my judgments, my my shame, my guilt, my sadness, and become more of divine truth or source or God, whatever you want to call it, as I sort of, we become one more and more with the field. And this is just an ongoing process that's almost, you know, has no end to it as we continue on through this this incarnation of life. But for me, initially, it was just that I needed to sleep better. I need to have less anxiety. I need to be less depressed. And usually most people come to me as a teacher now trying to solve a pain point. And that's where I started. I didn't start to get enlightened. I didn't start to become a teacher. I didn't start because I wanted to, you know, be a thought leader in the world. It was because I literally was a basket case and I needed my life to at least somehow get some semblance of cohesiveness and harmony in it. And that happened very quickly. And then, so then you go, well, what next? And so you keep peeling back more and more layers of knowledge and more and more layers of insight, more and more experience of, of deepening that connection with spirit or soul or source. And this led me to more advanced studies, more advanced teachings and trainings. And then eventually, as I really started to experience more of that inner truth, inner being, I felt that what I ended up saying and doing became more representative of that what i was experiencing inside myself and so eventually it just became that what i wanted to say and and do and be more of was was sharing the knowledge in a way that was more structured i was doing it in ways that wasn't very structured and probably wasn't that healthy which was sharing it 
you know, at business functions and family functions and out with my friends. And so when we find, and this is what I sort of help support people across that divide, when people find that they just can't help but live and breathe it, that it's probably time to move into a way that's a little bit more structured where we create what we call worthy inquiry. And that's where people are open and willing to listen and have shown some degree of worthy inquiry. Because if we just start blabbing this out in places where there's no worthy inquiry, we end up becoming someone that's quite unfavorable to be around. Yeah. I love that. Um, you talk about, you have a deep understanding of who you are. Can you walk me through that sentence? Let's just reframe it. I'd say a deeper understanding. I'm still trying to work the hell out what, <laughs> who or what I am. Um, it's just such a, an ongoing process of peeling back layers of what I thought I was mm. and letting go of, we call it Maya, the illusion of, of what I, what I thought I was. Um, and sometimes it's brutally painful releasing some forms of identity that we get attached to our stories, you- our dramas, our histories. Sorry to jump in there. When you when you say it's painful, because we, we've we've taken people through that process and it gets really. Can you explain maybe or give us an example of what it means to really surrender or to release in the moment where you have the opportunity to actually release something? It's like the shedding of an, a layer or like the melting of an ice. It's kind of coming off. Can you walk us through what that really means of that that pain and that associated moment? Yeah, I, I call it the dark night of the soul. And we'll have multiple dark nights of the soul. And that's it's actually from a book by St. John of the Cross, who's a Spanish mystic who went through this, this process. And um, it's really, a, for me, anyway, personally, and it might be different for other people, we usually have, when we're on this journey, catalysts that activate this, this clearing. And what it will mean is it will be, there'll be part of us that might be some patterns of behavior. It might be some form of, desire or addiction or it might be some type of unsustainable and un, uh, unharmonious type way of living that's been coded and conditioned into us and the universe will transpire to create some circumstance or event or experience that will highlight that this exists it's like a blind spot we didn't know was there so it'll be quite bleak and painful when we get the light shone on this aspect of ourselves that's no longer serving our our evolution and that the first the first part in the process is, is, is identifying it. And that can be like, Oh my God, this is me. This is horrible. This is who I am. I'm horrible. And you identify with that pain point and that blind spot. But then it's in that time that you actually, if you've, if you've already had access to the tools, you'll start to intensify your process and your sadhana and your practice. Like you'll increase your meditations. You'll start finding a mentor to help you get through it or do some energy clearing. But it's usually a fairly bleak time. And the bleakness is the word that I tend to use when we're going through this passage of relinquishing, surrendering, letting go of something that has been familiar to us for a long time. It's like your favorite hoodie or your favorite, um, you know, toy or something. And, and it's like the universe is taking that away from you because it's holding you back. The analogy I use is that if, if we break our leg, we put a cast around it and that cast plays a role in stabilizing the leg and we, 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 we get very attached to this cast because it's done something that's been useful for us for some period of time. Um, however, that cast, if we get too attached to it and we don't want to let it go, it can actually start to cause all sorts of problems in our existence and hold us back. And that clinging on is something that we have to just relinquish and let go. And so allowing ourselves to unclench from the things that we've been holding on to, um, whether it's external things that we hold on to or internal things like patterns and beliefs, systems and ways of behaving. I love that. How does somebody go about if they're if they're sitting and saying, hey, I have a lot to let go. How do they go about letting go or surrendering? What's the first couple of steps people would take? Well, I, I find obviously meditation plays a big part in that because the whole process, particularly in transcendental meditation, why I like this meditation or Vedic meditation, why it's so important is because the art of the meditation itself is about surrendering the mantra to dive into the field the absolute the where we've let go of our thoughts our feelings and our physical form that's what transcendence is to go beyond to transcend and the actual meditation helps us to integrate into daily life that process as well because we actually came here with nothing you know we picked up a body when we started to come through the womb as a spirit as a soul 
but we didn't come with any possessions. We didn't come with any partners. You know, even our family is something we collected along the way. So that firstly awareness about that we actually don't own and have anything. We actually are experiencing things like the cloud passes across the sky, but the sky itself has no quality, no, no, no particular um, structure to it. And that's what we are at a very subtle essence. And so meditation really helps us connect to that formlessness, realizing that the forms are things that we're passing through and that the awareness of letting go happens and the experience of letting go happens a lot more easily if we've got a practice that trains us in the art of surrender and transcendence. Um, but if we don't have those tools at our disposal, I liken it to holding your fist really tight holding your fist really tight. And that's what we're doing with life itself. And then just to really just feel this, the opening happen and just realize that if I just let go of everything, what am I left with? I'm left with nothing, but I'm left with everything. And there's this real beautiful thing about the Buddhist philosophy that we go through emptiness, which is the emptiness of possession, the emptiness of ego, the emptiness of our thoughts and our feelings. But in the emptiness, we actually get fullness and we can't get true fullness without passing through the emptiness because without emptiness, with an ego still occupying that, that area, that space, the ego can only ever have lack. The ego can never be fulfilled. It can never, ever truly be satiated. It is, it's true quality. is it, It's insatiability. And so until we really free ourselves of that ego trap, then we can't really have fullness. Love that, Tom. Do you ever think of the ego as like a, it's a contraction in itself and it gets, keeps getting wild. I love that analogy of like strengthening your fist and kind of thinking of like the whole egoic level of consciousness is a, a contraction that keeps getting tighter and tighter and tighter in that kind of like finding yourself or peeling back the layers is the release of the contraction of the ego itself. So you keep kind of peeling back that layer. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is, um, one of the teachers that I studied on is a Zen, Zen master teacher. He called it the occupant. So the ego is the occupant. And the thing with an occupant is that they want to occupy and they, they occupy by holding on. It's like they, they grip and they have anchor points. And so that's what the ego does. It anchors in um, and has particular traits and characteristics that, that keep it well and truly established and anchored in. And so the greatest releasing that we're going to have in life is not letting go of our possessions or our loved ones, it's actually letting go of our ego. And that's the hardest part of all, because that's the thing that we're most attached to, which is our identity. How would you describe the ego? That's such a great question. I've never had that question before. <laughs> it's in essence, in its simplest form, and this might really challenge people to hear this. It's the thinking mind and the feeling body. Mm because divinity itself doesn't have a thinking mind or a feeling body. It, it's a structure and a construct within us and presence, bliss, awareness, love is not thinking or feeling. And we get very identified by our emotional, that's our feeling body. So all of our desires are trying to, to activate a sensation in our feeling body. And, um, and that's what drives us in this insatiable quest to have more, to activate that elevation in the feelings. And that's what activates the thoughts. Thoughts are about triggering sensations. And I had a podcaster interview me once and they said, you know, how do you feel about the emotional poverty on the planet? And I said, we don't have emotional poverty. We have way too much emotion, people acting out on emotions. And it's, it's something that drives desires. It drives uh, conflict. It dr drives, um, you know, people to do things that, aren't necessarily favorable to the planet or other people. And this is something that I personally grapple with all the time is my desires, my, which, which are, are cravings to have a higher experience when the ultimate experience is to be free of that emotional body, but actually experience the true self, which is the presence of being. And some people might say that spiritual bypassing, and there is to some degree in all honesty and transparency, some degree of spiritual bypassing, in that process, we, we do, we don't want to ignore the sensations in the body, but we don't want to be driven in our thoughts and in our actions for those sensations. So there's a difference between being aware of the, the, the feelings that arise within the body, being present to that, acknowledging that, and just allowing that to sort of melt and dissolve and being really present to the feeling that might be in the body. 
but it's when we're craving like a bowl of ice cream, I need to have another sexual experience. I need to have that hit of cocaine. I need to have, you know, a better subscription to on my TV platform because until I fulfill these desires, I can't truly be happy. Then that's when we're in the trap of the ego. Yeah. You can almost kind of reframe that as like the expectation or needs is what causes suffering. Right. And it's, it's the, that, that needing, that nagging need of wanting something more, that insatiable part of the doing world. Where does the mind come into play with this for you? You know, I find that the greatest levels of peace and calm come when my mind is quiet and it's not in the thought field, but it's in the expansive field of, of quietness. And I think there's two components to mind. We've got a field of mind, which is a field of intelligence. And I take my students through an exercise where we actually expand ourselves beyond the framework of the skull that is containing the brain, which is where we think. But when we transcend, we actually go into a field of mind, a field of consciousness. So we've got consciousness, which is a field, which we, it's like the, um, the wave suddenly realizing it's the ocean. Um, so the brain and our thoughts are within the wave structure, which would be within the physical form and contained within the, the brain and the, confined by the, 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 the boundary line of the skull. But when we transcend, and this is the power of a transcending meditation as opposed to a gratitude meditation or visualized meditation that's keeping us within our own individualized state, within the confines of the skull and the brain and in our own separate identity. But when we transcend, we go into the field of mind, which let's just call it pure consciousness, then we become part of something that's universal. And all intelligence or creativity is, is contained within that broad spectrum of field. And Einstein recognized this uh, through unified field theory. We know of string theory. So there's, there's a lot of science coming out now that there's an intelligent field that all forms and phenomenon uh, manifest out of. And the mind, I think, is like a conduit, just like a Wi-Fi modem. Okay, I'll give you an analogy that I've used before, which might help some people really grasp this on a level that is relatable. So this phone I'm holding up here now, my, my phone, um, it has a particular apparatus, which has got a physical hardware, which is the, the structure of the phone. And it's got an intelligence inside the phone. It's the iOS operating system, right? And so the operating system has functionality, like it's got a calculator, it's got a camera, it's got um, a few things inside that phone that make it quite efficient and quite useful. Um, it's got a, a torch in there and all sorts of things. But the, if, if it was just the phone and the iOS, it, it has a distinct limitation about it as far as what information it can give me. But the thing with this phone, it's got this incredible capacity to access a field of information that's not in the phone, but the phone is in it. So the, the web's not in the phone, the phone's in the web, right? And if I'm in Bali or if I'm in Vermont or if I'm in Byron Bay, the same level of information, which is infinite almost, is accessible through the phone. The phone becomes the conduit for the information that's around the phone. And so our mind is a conduit for the information that's in the field. And when we've got a very constricted and conditioned mind, we call this um, these things called vasanas. These are tendencies of the mind, which are neurological patterns that have developed over a lifetime of conditioning and coding. It might be I'm unworthy or I'm no good or money's hard to come by or whatever our code is. We've got this code that we collect through our lifetime. Some of it's genetic through our parents and grandparents. Some of it's through society coding. And that creates these pat patterns called vasanas, which keeps us in a, a limited framework of thinking. And that's like the iOS is pretty limited. You know, every now and then we might update it with a new code, but it's still only as good as the code. But if we access the field of intelligence, we have almost infinite possibility and almost infinite creativity at our fingertips. And that's why we want to get out of that inf our limited mind and get into the field of mind. And that's when we really start to open up with creative potential, which is why Ray Dalio, the world's largest hedge fund manager, says that the key to his success has been meditation. And Oprah Winfrey, word for word, says that you create your best work and your best life uh, from that space. So um, this is why I think as meditators, uh, as business people, it's, it's critical we, we incorporate meditation into our day. And Hugh Jackman, you can't forget him, right? I mean, he's of now... Course. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Well, thank you for that. That was that was wonderful. Let me ask you uh, a couple of questions. One, um, do you ever have any physical sensations when you're releasing or surrender? Yeah, absolutely. It's very physical. Uh, it's it's um, you, it can be things from tears to uh, fear to uh, bodily sensations of you know any of these arisings of energy. If we think about what energy is, or emotion, sorry, it's it's energy in motion, and generally that energy in motion, which is the, the releasing of that energy, hasn't happened at the appropriate time because we were told, don't be angry, don't be sad, don't be afraid. And even as an adult, you know, well, maybe we weren't told that, but maybe we just felt it wasn't relevant or, or appropriate in that particular environment, like a boardroom meeting or a family function when someone does something or said something. So you suppress that energy. It doesn't get to flow in motion. And so it's sitting there latently and we know that energy can't be destroyed. It can only be transferred or transformed. And so it sits there latently in the body. And so particularly when we do our retreats, we do a lot of rounding, which is a breathwork yoga or meditation process. We see a lot of that energy starting to rise and clear out of the system, that energy in motion. So the emotions starting to flow. So it comes up, whatever it was that it went in, uh, it, it might come out in sadness, it might come out in fear, it might come out in anger, it might come out in all sorts of sensations. It might even be a sexual energy releasing that can happen. So, yeah, it definitely comes up through the body. The body's the portal for that uh, energy to move through. I remember when I was first doing TM, I was doing quarterly kind of retreats with our TM facility up here. And we have a, a wonderful, two wonderful instructors that actually trained with Maharshi for like 15 years. They're they're in their in their 70s now and they're wonderful people. And uh, they would have to sit with me because my body would shake so much for releasing and they would just, and they were just really controlled about how much I was releasing. Cause like a lot of business people or people that are self-driven, they want to like, how can I get this faster out? And so I kind of was doing everything within their framework. They would allow me to, and, and then it's manifested more into like, I don't know if you've ever had this kind of sensation, but it's more of like a, when you feel it building up and you sit back behind it and you release it, it feels like it's a gagging motion that comes up and just kind of like this big, it almost feels like an energy physical ball in there. And then it just kind of releases. And it's like, it gets hard in your belly and kind of comes up and you can feel it going up through there. And it may last for two or three minutes or 20 minutes. And you're just sitting there kind of, you can stop it if you want, but of course you're not because you don't want to lose the opportunity to let go. Have you experienced that before? Yeah, when I first started meditating, particularly then, I, you know, I was coming off 10 years of being massively into the, the rave culture, the nightclubs, um, on a massively adrenaline-packed trading room floor. So the amount of fear and adrenaline that was in my body was just so much. And then when I started meditating, I would get these incredible, like you said, this rising up through my body. This, it was like a, a tsunami of fear and dread. Yeah. Would be, would, would, and it would, it would almost there were times when I had to stop the meditation because I could feel such yeah. immense dread or fear coming up through my body. Um, and other times would be these huge jolts, like massive jolts that would almost throw me off the chair as, as this huge energy burst would just literally, like most of the people listening would probably have these little twitches or spasms we get when we're falling asleep, which is the same thing, but I was getting a much bigger extremity of that. So that's a very common thing. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted one people, cause I think people go through that and they start having those sensations and they, they're not sure if like, there's something wrong with me or am I doing this wrong? And I, I think I, I love how you just kind of shared that it's very common for people to kind of go through the physical releases of, if you think about it, it's like the contract, you just kind of letting go and your body's just getting the energy out. It, it tw your arm twitches, you yeah. kind of go, you yeah. cry, whatever that is for, for what it is. Um, walk us through the line of living in the form world, building a business, building a life. I mean, you're, you've created the portal, which is a film, which we're going to link in our show notes. You're the founder of the stillness project. You've written seven books. Like, so you're still out there, you know, you obviously you have a you have different um, purpose in your life now, but a lot of people still wake up and they, they try to find this balance between, Hey, I don't want to go live in a cave, but I don't want to make my life all about work or business. This combination of kind of using business as a conduit for your personal growth or whatever form that you choose to take. Walk us through kind of your take on that in terms of living in life, but also living and finding that or not really finding it, but just uncovering more of naturally who you are through that process. Yeah, I think there's a few factors to this. Firstly, I'll start with a passage from the Bhagavad Gita, which is a profound book about life. And if anyone hasn't read it, I highly recommend it. Um, and it's a 
the commentary between Arjuna, who's a prince who has to go to war, and Krishna, who's source or God, if you want to call it that, um, communicating back to him. And um, they were talking about desire and the, um, the the cause for action. And the cause for action, the purpose of action for, for most people is to fulfill a desire. And so we go to the movies to fulfill a desire. We go to work to fulfill a desire. But they were talking about when we become enlightened, our desires are, are quenched. We've, we've, we've satisfied desires because we become one with the field and we have this infinite level of bliss and love inside of us. And then Juna said, well, if that's the case, then why would I go into any action? And, and Krishna replies that your action is motivated by the needs of others. And I must admit that when we start to satisfy that, that thirst and that quest for fulfilling desires, we start to find this overflow that is this capacity to give and serve and start to experience the pain and suffering of others, not as a pain point for me, but being aware of the pain and suffering of others and realizing your capacity to start to um, provide some sort of value and support to the other. And it could be the planet, it could be animals, it could be um, humans. And so there's a natural sequence I find people go through, which is why I do a lot of the work that I do these days, is that we generally are seekers. We're a seeker. We're looking for fulfillment. And we might spend most of our life seeking fulfillment in places that it's unsustainable and comes with very severe karmic effects. But eventually what we're doing is we're seeking truth. We're seeking light. We're seeking to come home to, to realization, self-realization or realization of the self. So as a seeker, some people end up becoming a finder. And it's like, oh my goodness, there it is. It's inside me. I didn't realize I, I was looking out there in the parties and the drugs and, and the bitcoins, but I now I started to find it inside myself. And as a natural seeker, we become naturally a finder. And as a finder, we naturally move on to becoming a sharer. And that natural propensity for humans to feel fulfilled and purposeful when we're sharing. And that's what your podcast is about. You wanted to share. And, you know, we, we have this natural propensity to an inclination when we find something of value that we know will support and, and, and assist others to actually want to share that. So um, there's this, so they've got that natural compulsion to share. So then how do we create business around that? How do we, and that can be one of two ways. It can be that you have business, but on the side you share, um, or it can be that your sharing is your business. And, you know, I always say to my, my clients that look, even Superman, who was a sharer had a day job and he kept his separate. I'm not going to wear my cape and my Lycra to work because I'm a journalist by day. And, um, outside of my day job, I actually do sharing. And so, um, we can compartmentalize them as two separate things or we can bring them together. And that's what I've managed to do. And what I do with my coaching is to help people get a business structure around the sharing process as a conscious leader. When you hear people say, I'm looking for my passion, or I'm trying to find my passion, what goes, what advice would you give to somebody there? You look, I think um, Anthony Robbins, to borrow from him, he does this, uh, these six human needs. Um, we need to have significance. We need to have, um, I can't remember them all exactly. You might remember them more than me, but. Um, certainty. Certainty, uncertainty. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Variety. Yeah. And so look, one of the things that we tend to do is, as humans is we tend to go through life ticking off boxes. I need to get my degree, need to get my job, need to get my, my partner, my kids. Um, but one of the things that we kind of leave a little bit late in life is that, that sense of purpose and passion. And um, I'm, I try to help people realize that that's something that we can bring in early in the piece without waiting till we've ticked off the boxes. We can actually do it simultaneously whilst we're ticking off the boxes. And for me, you know, that started off by um, working in a soup kitchen every Saturday morning while I was a broker. It was just that I just wanted to do something that was contributing in some way. So we don't have to go out there all of a sudden and set up a global movement. Yeah. You know, I, I would buy tube stock of trees for $1 um, online. And then um, I would go and plant them around Sydney. And now there's these huge, beautiful gum trees. I just love gum trees. And I just started planting. It was a bit naughty, so don't tell anyone. Um, <laughs> but I would plant them. And, and I drive around Sydney now and I see all these gum trees that I planted. They're like 30, 40, 50 foot high. Um, and I moved on from that, noticing that I could contribute more. And so I started working in the soup kitchen then. And I realized I could contribute more. And I, my capacity started to increase. But I would suggest you don't have to start massively. Just 
do something that you feel is is opening your heart and and contributing back in some way even if it's just picking up plastic off the streets yeah. you know no one has to know you're doing it do you think it's something that people find or do you think it's already within you and you just more are sharing from that point i think it's it's something that's malleable and changes over time you know for me i love running retreats i, I love uh teaching i love coaching coaches and conscious leaders i mean i didn't have that passion 20 years ago, um, yeah. 20 years ago, I had a passion to plant a few gum trees around Sydney or work yeah. in a soup kitchen. So it will evolve and grow as you evolve and grow. It's, it's not a static thing. So it doesn't have to be finite. Just be open to feeling called to um, do something that invigorates you, enlivens you, and, um, and somehow is purposeful. When you, when you talk about feeling called, I think people kind of lose themselves sometimes when people hear that. What does that mean to you? Can you kind of, I know you can't, it's a knowing and somebody's got to know it, but can you use words to best describe what that would mean to be called to do something? I think, I think there can be a little bit of um, misuse of that terminology sometimes and, yeah. and certainly put a lot of pressure on people. It's like, why did someone feel called and someone not feel called? Yeah. Um, I think what it is, I think, I think I would switch that word out because it sounds like something or someone has called them. It's like, why did you get called? And I didn't get called, you know, you must be special. I'm no special. And that just reaffirms that I'm no good. I think it's more, they feel inspired. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I was inspired to take lots of drugs and go partying. And then I lost that inspiration for that. And I found more inspired to learn to meditate. And then I felt inspired to, um, start planting trees. Then I felt inspired to work in the soup kitchen. Then I felt inspired to teach meditation. Then I felt inspired to make a film. So it's, opening ourselves up to being inspired and what's, 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 you know, what's arising within us in, in a move towards something. Yeah. It seems like there's a, there's a major difference between a, a thought generated idea versus an inspirational idea. The inspirational idea more is I can see you doing it in movement, like a more, it's like a whole body visceral feel versus the mind kind of coming up with a thought that you're attaching your velcroing yourself to. And I think it's uh, the importance of, of meditation is to help us get out of the mind that, and, you know, I had a client um, the other day just arrive, um, you know, in my program and they were very unhappy, you know, very, very wealthy, mind you, um, and had, you know, $20 million house and doctors and had $400,000 Lamborghini. Um, and I just asked them, you know, what, what daily practice do you engage in that's going to, um, elevate your life that's more than just buying something that's going to make you feel fulfilled like you know are you doing yoga are you doing saunas are you meditating are you doing journaling are you reading self-help books are you and they were doing none of that and i said well look you know that's going to be the starting point and we've, we've got to get out of this idea that acquisition and experience is our only source of fulfillment which is what we're coded to believe but that's the ultimate illusion that we live with as a human species and is the source of most of our suffering on the planet it becomes a dependency, doesn't it? It's like you get one hit and it goes away. And then it's, it's like, you know, when, when somebody's dependent on a drug, they're a drug addict, but when somebody's dependent on other things, it's like, Oh, go after that, go after your, put your things up there. Right. And it's, I think we're teaching people the exact wrong thing, which is why I love your message and what you're doing as a, you know, as the, for, uh, as a whole for all of you, not just your, your people and your books and your class and your, in your, the video that you created, it's like this um, it, it's, it becomes a dependency on people. Yeah. It's, it's actually, if I, this is what inspired us with the film is I, I could trace that simple notion that external sources of fulfillment, as opposed to internal sources of fulfillment, that simple thing is the actual cause and catalyst for our environmental problems on the planet, the debt bubble that we've created, the, um, the, the pain and suffering that we, we create in our relationships, in our possessions, um, and all of our addictions that simple one thing. And that's what inspired me with the portal film, because we have to go through that portal to realize that it's not actually outside of ourselves. We have to start realizing that true fulfillment is a self-referred experience rather than outcome oriented experience. Did anything uh, surprise you when you created the portal? Uh, how ridiculously difficult making a film is and how <laughs> difficult it is to recoup funds from that film. It's, um, uh, you know, I'm in the middle of a, an email to our investors, just letting them know about the journey we've been on and how hard this has been. And um, I underestimated 
the magnitude of, of what that process would be, even as a meditator. I'm like, how do all these films get made? It doesn't make sense. It's, <laughs> it's just so difficult. I love that. Are you, uh, are you afraid of death? No, not at all. I, uh, it's quite a personal thing, but, uh, I quite, um, not to promote an idea, but I welcome the idea of being greater and more deeply connected with God. Um, and I find that that most likely will happen without a physical form. Um, but whilst I'm in physical form to relish and enjoy the deliciousness of what it is to be human with all the challenges that that comes. Yeah. Do you believe in past life regression or past lives? I'm very aware of experiences that I've had in previous incarnations. Uh, they very much have a strong influence in some of the things that uh, I feel connected to in this life. Yeah. Um, I've become, uh, not that I can trace back to the, a distinct experience, but I'm very aware of influences that I have in this life that aren't in my genetic code. Like no one else in my family has these particular traits or tenets or inclinations. And so I'm very aware that they are lingering over from a previous experience in previous lifetimes. That's all. Have you ever actually done a past life progression before? I haven't actually. No, I've heard a lot about it, but I, I've never done that. We've done it a couple of times. We actually just brought a group. We have a group called Project U that we use with 25 leaders from around the world to kind of do something similar. And we just did a group one and it was just amazing to see wow. the, the release. And that's really what it is. People kind of get scared. And a lot of times past life progressions bring you to a place that had a traumatic end to it because you didn't, you weren't able to release it. And so a lot of times it brings you back there. And, and part of that is just that people feel like this massive release because there, it's almost like letting go of a part, shedding a part of them that they've been holding onto for, for multiple lives. It's a really fascinating process. You should, you should, you should give it a try. I'd love to hear your. Um, what is the process? What do you take? How does it actually yeah, take yeah, place? So you, yeah, it's, that's awesome. So um, actually my seven-year-old son, it's so funny. Um, after I went through it, I started sharing my story. My wife went and had it. And then my son was like asking me all these questions about it. Of course, I never put any of that on them. And they, they have their own word that they do for, for mantras and stuff. But he's like, hey, I think I really want to do past life regression. And I'm like, really? And I'm like, so I let it go. And he kept bringing it up. Finally, he did it. And he did the process. And, and so I got to sit there and hold his hand while he kind of went through this whole thing at seven. It's just pretty awesome. And he essentially, what they, what they do is they put you into a state of hypnosis, but it's not a, um, an unconscious state. Like you people, you see people on stage, like doing weird things. You're conscious the entire time. Like you could pull yourself out. It's just a very deep, relaxed sense for about 12 to 15 minutes. And then from there, the instructor just guides you through a series of questions. And honestly, I'm, I'm, I've tried a lot of spiritual things and, and, and I'm sitting there going through this the first time I'm going through it. And like, I'm like, this is not working. This is not working. This is kind of like not really working. And I'm just sitting there and all of a sudden she asks me, she's like, okay, and she counts down, clicks things. I'm like, still not working. And she's like, she says one thing and instantaneously it's like everything shifted. It was, she was like, she was like, she could see it. She's like, tell me what you're wearing. And I looked down, and I could see everything I was wearing. Like I had like, literally like I had a, you know, like a, like a, an AI type headset on like a virtual reality headset. And she was like, how old are you? I was like 27. And I was, you say it so fast that there's no way for like the conscious mind to get involved. And it's almost like you're pulling it from the subconscious. And I sat there with my son watching him do this. And they're like, she was like, how old are you? 12. What, where are you? My boy, where are you? And she, he said exactly where he was and everything. And it's just the way he was saying it really helped reaffirm for me. Cause I was like, there's no way he can make that up and the speed at which he's saying those things. And we recorded the whole thing. And so that's the process. And then you kind of fast forward the scenes and they can roll out the whole scenes. It's about a three hour process to go through it. But it's just a wonderful and the whole time. And like, is there a gift somebody wants to give to you? And you can see these different things come together and you're, you're kind of in between consciousness. And, and it's, it doesn't seem like a dream. It's not that type of thing because you're still real lucid. It almost feels like a deep transcendental experience. And yet at the same time in the ex transcendental experience, you're actually experiencing an, a, a, a former life. Um, it's a really powerful process. And every time there's been, there's been a lot of cathartic release from that that's happened. So the benefit is that we clear any association and, and lingering attachment to that. Okay. Exactly so it's, right. it's like a clearing and a purification of, of the effect of that. Yeah. That's the whole purpose of it is to try to clean that out. So you don't have to, it's not that karmic webs unwound, right? Wow. So you don't have okay. to come back through and do it. Help speed it up while you're here. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I have to look into that. I, I've seen it around here. So I'll have to, and usually you would do it with a specialist. Yeah. Yes. You do with a specialist. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good. Well, 
where do people find or get you know where would you want to direct people towards to kind of get um introduced to you if people are like hey i really love it which i know they will because you bring so much value to this to our group of listeners so thank you where would people where would you want to direct people to start a couple of places probably one would be just my instagram where i'm probably most active tom cronin uh, and then uh my website which again is tomcronin.com so those two places probably be the most appropriate. And if they want to find out more about the film, they can see it on my website, but they uh, can actually go to the, the whole portal, uh, I guess, framework, which is entertheportal.com, and that's where they see the film and the book and everything in there. Awesome. And all that stuff's going to be linked in our show notes. Is there any piece of, um, you know, necessary advice or words of wisdom when people are starting on this journey or maybe they're in the middle of this journey and they're not seeing the progress that they want or maybe they are, but it's not going as fast. Is there any piece of advice you'd want to give and leave to people? Well, I think um, patience is definitely one to, to know that we have this ability to have an intention and a desire that we want to have fulfilled very quickly. That can happen literally within a nanosecond. But the physical world takes such a long time for things to sort of unravel and play out. You know, we thought we'd just have an idea for a film and make a film and it would just happen, but not realizing that the timeline of physicality is so much longer than what we usually anticipate. And to, to respect and acknowledge the slowness of physical, physical form in the manifestation of things. Um, and secondly, um, to have an ongoing commitment to the process, to, to not just because of the, the patience thing, we can throw things and think it's not working, but there is only evolution at play. And so that every single thing that's unfolding and unraveling, whether it's painful or not, is part of an evolutionary process towards realization, towards greater awareness, towards greater harmony and greater unity. And so quite often we get a little bit blinkered and blinded by that, not realizing that even in the challenging moments to just pause and go, how is this supporting me? How is this part of my evolutionary process? How is this helping me? Um, the, in somewhere in that experience, as difficult as it might be, there's there's something of value in that. There's a there's a nugget of gold in it, and um, that really helps us get through those difficult times, rather than just pointing fingers or blaming someone or or thinking that life sucks. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. I know our listeners got so much from you, so thank you so much. We really appreciate you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me along to this session today. Hey everybody, thank you for joining us today. We are an entrepreneurship company, which means that we are always in growth mode. And what does that mean, Hallie? We are always looking for and hiring great talent. Yes, we are. So here at Adam Hergen with our companies, we believe in creating a world large enough where no one ever has to leave. Whether that means becoming a realtor, transitioning to another position or organization, or growing into a C-level leadership position, the opportunities are available to those who prove themselves and are driven to grow and contribute to our organization. You can find all of our job listings on our website at adamhergenrother.com forward slash careers. Come join our team and develop yourself through business.